Well, last weekend we began asking God to give us increasing hearts towards lost people, towards people who haven't yet bowed their knee to Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. Because we saw in Luke chapter 15, if you were with us last weekend, that Jesus was there in the center of the crowd with the sinful people. But in contrast to that, the religious guys, they weren't in the center of the crowd with the sinful people. They were standing around the edges, being judgmental, pointing, even criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners. Well, let's be honest, too often today, isn't that how it is even in our time for those of us who've been Christians for a while? You know, we sort of just kind of close ourselves off in our little Christian subculture and, you know, it kind of becomes an us-them sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, but but they drink and they smoke and they cuss and they they, they tell crass jokes and all of these kind of things, and we kind of draw these big, thick lines between us and them. And the answer isn't for us to start doing those things, but it is for us to start having the heart of Jesus towards them that propels us to the center of the crowd rather than separating ourselves on the outside of the crowd. See, It's not enough to just love people in the church. We've got to invest the time and the energy to build relationships in order to love people who don't know Jesus yet. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, we want to look at another passage that really shows this contrast of heart towards lost people. Take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of John, chapter If you find Matthew at the start of your New Testament, it's just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the book of John, chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, and probably even if you do, you'll want to reach inside your celebration folder and pull out this message note sheet. It has all the verses that we're going to look at this morning, as well as some blanks that you can fill in later on, and a whole blank back if there's anything that comes out that you particularly want to remember and jot a note to yourself. But John chapter 8, beginning in verse 3, why don't you follow along as I read. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these were the religious guys, the religious leaders. It says, they uh, brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, if one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Jesus says, hey, whoever 
here is sinless. Whichever one of you who doesn't have any need of grace, you go ahead and throw first. And so verse 9 says, At that time, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Boy, do you, do you just see the, the obvious difference between the way the religious leaders treated this woman and the way Jesus treated her? You know, for the religious leaders, they didn't care about her. She was just a pawn. She was just someone they were trying to use to to trick Jesus. I mean, the text tells us that, right? Because she was caught in the act of adultery. If they were really after righteousness and justice, I'm pretty sure they would have had to brought two, right? Caught in the act. But they just are using this woman. They didn't care about her. But in contrast to that, here's Jesus, the way he is with this woman, extending himself towards her, being kind, being caring. And he calls her to obedience, but with compassion and with kindness. Don't miss that. Jesus doesn't say to her, hey, it doesn't matter. I don't care. God's a loving God. Just go do whatever you want. He doesn't say that. He says, go and, and leave your life of sin, but I don't condemn you either. He, he, he treats her as he calls her to obedience. He does it in such a compassionate, caring sort of way. Now, let me ask you, this is an obvious question, but I'll ask it anyway. Which of those two ways of dealing with this woman do you think would cause her to be most open to a relationship with the true God? I mean, it's obvious, right? The way Jesus treated her. Let me ask you another question. Is it any different today? You see, our judgmentalness, our pointing out and condemning and harshness, it doesn't cause people to to to, to want to embrace God. It, it just pushes them away. And yet, for some reason, we have this tendency to the longer we've been a Christian to just sort of start thinking we're like spiritually all that. You know, like, God, you are really lucky to have me. You know, that we think, oh, good, he's talking about sin. I hope those other people are listening, the ones who struggle with sin, you know. And and we sort of start thinking of ourselves this way and we lose our heart for people who haven't experienced grace the way we have And somehow we become rock throwers and judgment casters rather than people who lovingly extend grace. Well, I want to show you a a clip this morning. It's from one of those reality shows. It's Trading Spouses or Wife Swap or I don't know. I don't watch any of them. But it's a clip that's, that's disturbing and... And funny, all at the same time. You don't know whether you should laugh or cry. I mean, really, you don't. And so I'll take the tension of the room, and I just give you permission to laugh, okay? But in the in the show itself, what they do is they take 
uh, two spouses, two moms, and they trade places in each other's homes, not in an immoral kind of way, but they're there for a couple of weeks doing the things in each other's homes and experiencing how they do it, and then them having a chance to put their way on them. And, and it, and it kind of opens this aspect of seeing the differences that's there. Well, this particular clip involves a Christian woman who goes into the home of a non-Christian family. And not only a non-Christian family, but in a family that's into some way out there kind of practices. And she comes home at the end of that experience and you'll see her behavior, which again is over the top. I'm just warning you in advance. Uh, But my reason for showing it to you is not to just mock this woman. That's not what this is about. What I hope you'll see in this clip is how this woman has so submerged herself and is, is part of this Christian subculture that, that you just see she's become better at judging than she has at reaching. She's become better at labeling and separating than she has at extending herself towards lost people. So let's watch it together. Simon says, touch shoulders. Simon says, put your hands down. Simon says, shimmy. Simon says, stop. (laughs) Simon says, run. (laughs) Simon says, stop. Someone says, say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. She, she's, I think she's, yeah, she's here. She's here. No way. could be a Jew and believe in God. It doesn't matter. She's tampering in doubts that it's stuffed. Yes, yes, she did. The entire house is dark-sided. She said her whole house is... She is dark-sided, too. Why are you mad at us? This is my house. I want no money. I want nothing. I want my God and I want my family. This is tainted. I don't want it. Whatever it is, it's tainted. Whatever it is, you give it me. I give it up to God. I'm a God warrior. And I don't want someone with tainted anything in police doing anything with my family. Get out. Get out. I want these crew members leaving. Get these ear sets off of me. I've had enough. Gargoyles. Psychics! 
Everything's ungodly. Dark savage. I'm glad you're home. Get the hell out of my house. In Jesus' name, I pray. Well, how about that, huh? Now, again, I, I want to be fair to, to this woman. And, and again, the point's not to ridicule her. I, I understand in a real sense why this was very traumatic for her. I mean, she had every right to be concerned about um, the activities of this other mom and the things of their family and how it was coming into, into you know, her contact with her, with them, and, and then this other non-Christian mom with her family. She had every right to be there. But what I want you to see is, is how her concerns led her to be judgmental led her to be critical rather than her concerns leading her to compassion. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus encounters how, the, how sin has impacted the people that he's with there. And it says he felt compassion towards them. See, what doesn't come from this woman is compassion and hurt and burden it's everything opposite of that, isn't it? It's judgment and criticism and, and harshness. Well, I'm going to show you another clip from the same show. This one's not nearly as over the top, so you can relax a bit. But in, in a lot of ways, I think this clip is even more disturbing than that. Because what they do in the show is you not only um, you know go in each other's homes for this period of time, but while you're there, they want the things to happen in your home that would happen as if you were there kind of thing. And so this is a clip of when uh, the Christian mom's friends come over. This was a part of something that they did in their house regularly, ha- come over and get together and talk and have a meal together and that kind of thing. And so this is the interaction of her friends with the non-Christian mom. And again, as you watch it, I, I just want you to ask yourself, is the way that they treat her, is the way that they respond to her, is that more like Jesus or more like these religious leaders that we read about? So let's watch another clip. Everybody's pretty excited about this. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to be having my mother's friends over to the house. They come in probably two to three times a week. It's such a fun group of ladies. They get loud, like Margaret. Sounds like a lot of fun. Lord help you then. I'm excited about the thought of meeting their friends. Who knows, maybe they'll help me and have a better understanding of this family. That's kind of how fate works. Just guess they're workers too. So we're trying to get the meal together so we can all sit and talk. 
Yeah, and you heard what she does, huh? No, I haven't got to, I haven't got to that part. I'm a hypnotherapist, but I also, about nine years ago, started a radio show from my office that I wanted to introduce to the world other tools, other things like feng shui and astrology. And I became Jade the Love Muse on my radio show because I was sort of coming across a lot more relationship issues. So would you consider anything. yourself kind of new age? No, I don't. So what's your spiritual background? Uh, I just, well, I got a charge. And all of a sudden, she started asking me some questions about a church. Is that any of her business, first of all? Whose business is that? Well, I was a Catholic until eight years old, and then my parents found the Unitarian University. What exactly did they believe? Um, we're all one, we're all equal. We're people of so all, all one religions. So we're all one and equal with the rapists, the terrorists, the what? That or the You're not a Christian. I believe in God, and uh, in a, but I'm in a spiritual... Do you believe in God, or do you believe in a higher power? Not higher power. So. I felt attacked. Are you spiritual? Do you believe in God, or do you call him the higher power? That's not the first thing you, you ask somebody. I would never in my life do that to anybody. Outsider at the party. To be actually treated like that was painful. So obvious, you know. You, do you see the condescension and the the labeling and and just that sense of coming off as as superior? You know. It hurts my heart to hear this non-Christian mother say, I felt like an outsider. You know, I felt attacked. And to hear the non-Christian mother say, I would never treat another person like they treated me. And I wonder, where were the efforts to reach toward this woman? To just... Love her. See, that doesn't mean that you're embracing everything she believes. It just means you're embracing her. You're accepting her. And I think, how much better would it have been if this non-Christian mom would have been saying, you know, I just never felt so cared for like these women cared for me. I I just felt loved by them. I just felt welcomed and, and cared for by them. But you see, what was missing was grace. Christ followers who are just so amazed by grace that they can't help but naturally extend it to others. Well, if you still have your Bible... Look with me at the other passage we want to consider this morning. It's just to the right. You'll go past the big book of Acts and Romans and a couple of Corinthian books, and you come to this little book of Galatians, chapter 3. 
See, they had a problem there in Galatia, these Christians there with grace as well. And Paul really sets them straight. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And yet I'd I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Or was it by believing what you heard? And so are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort. Paul says to them, let, let me just ask you one question, just one thing. Did you get saved by your human efforts or was it by grace alone? Well, we know the answer to that. Paul clarifies in the next book over, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, not by the works of righteousness that any of us do are we saved. None of us can boast because it's totally what Christ did for us, not because of anything in us that's worthy of it. See, Paul says, were you saved by what you did or was it purely by grace? (laughs) Obviously by grace. And then Paul says, well, then how in the world now that after you're saved, do you think somehow your actions make you so good? How in the world did you start out understanding that there's nothing in you that impresses a holy God, but now for some reason you think you're something on a stick? How in the world could you believe you're any less in need of grace now than you did before? See, Jesus has a heart for lost people. That's why he died on the cross. And that's why he saved you and saved me. If you're here this morning and you've bowed your knee to Jesus, he's your Savior and Lord. That's why he saved you. And that's why you and I should be people who reach towards lost people, who extend grace towards people that need Jesus. Not because we think we're better than they are, but because we know we aren't. But we've tasted amazing grace and we want them to experience it too and so real quick in the time that i have left let me give you just three things i notice about jesus when i read the gospels matthew mark luke and john read those three books yourself and see if you notice these three things about jesus as well here's the first that jesus was never put off or surprised by people's sinfulness. In fact, Matthew eleven nineteen, he's called a friend of sinners. That constantly you see people who are who are not obeying God, people who are living in disobedience, people who are sinful. They loved to be around Jesus. He 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 never seemed disturbed by the fact that sinful people behave sinfully. You know, sometimes I think that's why we as Christians come across as superior to people sometimes, because for some reason, those of us who are Christians think that non-Christians ought to have the same values that we do. 
I mean, why are we surprised that they don't? I mean, for some reason, those of us who name the name of Christ and who love God and his word think that people who don't somehow are lining themselves up according to this book. Why would they? I think the bigger question is, why is it that some of us who name the name of Christ don't line ourselves up according to this book? But why are we surprised that sinful people, people who don't have Christ, behave sinfully? Jesus was never surprised by that. He was never put off by that. And so, number two, what went with that is that what comes through in Jesus' interactions with lost people is his love and his concern for them. Not judgment or condemnation. But let's be honest, that's a hard balance to walk sometimes, isn't it? To find that balance in being able to cite sinful behavior, but, but to do so in a gracious sort of way. To be able to, to not back down on the, on the aspect that, that these things are in disobedience to God. I, I'm clear on that, but yet to do it in a way that, that has compassion, that has understanding, that, that just shows grace. You know, it's hard, I think, when it gets political. You know, in California, the whole same-sex marriage laws that were, you know, that whole aspect and all of those kinds of things, to, to find that balance, to, to be against laws and be against the politics, but yet still love people who are walking in disobedience to God in those areas. You know, to, to be against abortion rights, and yet to do it in such a way that conveys love and compassion towards the person who's had an abortion, not to, to be the person who's screaming and pointing and yelling and shaking their fist, to, to find that balance that Jesus found, that Jesus exemplified. You know, it used to be, and, and it still is, as a matter of fact, in a lot of places, that way towards people who are divorced some of you this morning could tell your stories of how some church or some christian treated you in response to you being divorced their harshness their their uh, how you were ostracized or looked down upon and all of those types of things And that doesn't mean God's pro-divorce. The Bible's clear. Malachi 2 says God hates divorce. He hates the pain that it brings. And yet, the balance of that is that God deeply loves divorced people. And being able to walk in that balance. Sometimes it's hard finding the balance. But but for me, it's just my opinion. But if I'm going to err on one side or the other, I want to err on the side of grace. And let's make sure that people know that they're loved. Let's be like Jesus. Not that their behavior is always approved of, but but despite their behavior, there's no question about them being loved. And maybe what helps with the balance is maybe just understanding this third point. It's this, that the reason that Jesus stands against sinful behavior is because God's commands are more about what God wants for us than what he wants from us. 
that all God's commands are built around what he wants for us more so than what he wants from us. That the reason why God hates divorce is because he knows the pain. He knows the shattered lives. He knows the impact on our children. But he deeply loves people who are divorced. That the reason why God is against abortion is because he knows the pain. He knows not only the loss of life, but the guilt and the heartbreak and the, the, the never-ending connection that, that rests between that mother and that unborn child. And so he stands against that, but he deeply loves people who've had an abortion. That, that the reason why God is against same-sex relationships is because he designed us. And Romans 1 tells us that the effects of sin has caused our desires, our urges to be altered and thrown off kilter. But God's way is the best and he knows his way is the best. And any time we alter from his ways, it doesn't lead to the fulfillment that 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 behavior promises. Quite the contrary, it leads to heartache and pain. That the reason why God is against sex outside of the marriage commitment isn't because he's a killjoy. You know, we had a neighbor who came to Christ, a good-looking single guy. And he bowed his knee to Jesus, and we were having lunch one day. He says, man, I really do mean this. I really do want to walk with Jesus. I really do want to follow him. But are you really sure about this sex thing, no more sex thing? <laughs> you know, he's looking for the loophole there, you know. And, and, and the reason why God stance is what it is isn't because he's out to 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 take our pleasure away it's because he knows the power of sex and the bond that it creates amongst two people that no matter how much we try to deny it that it's there and his way is best see all of god's commands are for our benefit we never compromise on that but we also extend grace and love towards those who aren't obeying those commands. See, I'm, I'm just still very aware of my own sinful heart. And I just continue to be amazed by grace. You know, we were having, celebrating the Lord's table a few weeks ago, communion, and, and just as we were, I, I, I was just overwhelmed again. That God would save me. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm crying. My nose is running, you know. I'm thinking, I hope no one's looking, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because it's just never stopped amazing me that God would save me. And when I look at a non-Christian, my heart is sad for them. Not because I think I'm better than them but because I recognize that they haven't experienced the depth of God's love like I've been able to. Because if they did, I know they would come running to embrace a God like that. And I'm just so anxious, so desirous for them to taste grace like I've been able to. And so I'm praying, God, give me an increasing heart for lost people. Make my heart like Jesus' heart that beats for people that don't know Him. That extends grace to them in ways 
that they just can't miss. Well, Andy and Sarah are going to sing a song for us. And and as they do, I just want to invite you to let the song really speak to you. You know, maybe what it means for you is just there during this time, just worshiping him and thanking him for amazing, marvelous, miraculous grace that reached down to a sinner like you. Maybe for you, you just need to do some talking to God. You know, maybe maybe you've allowed yourself to become a little self-righteous. And you just need to say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, for letting my heart grow cold towards people that don't know you. So that I don't even know my neighbors. I don't even think about the people I work with from where they're going to spend eternity or what's going on in their life. God, forgive me for that. But as Andy and Sarah sing, I I, I just want to encourage you to ask God to amaze you again with grace.